So as we continue with worship, we are going to jump into our, our sermon. Uh, the passage this week is Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. It's going to be a real treat because I'm going to read the passage for us this week. Why is that funny? Okay. Uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, that's Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you tell us that your word is, is you. It's your will. It's your truth. It's, it's you communicating throughout all of eternity. It is fixed. It will never change. It will never disappear. Your word is um, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It is an anchor for our soul. Um, it, is, it is unchanging. It is completely dependable. It is useful, if it is profitable for teaching us, for growing us, for changing us, for bringing new life to us. Um, it is precious. And so now, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive you through your word. Um, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak this word individually and powerfully and with deep love and mercy for every single man and woman and child in this room. Lord, thank you that you uh, promise that it never returns void and that we will not leave here unchanged. And so, Lord, we, we thank you and um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I was listening to, I had a very Nashville moment yesterday. I was listening to a country song in my pickup truck. Uh, <laughs> two things I thought I would never say. I don't like country music. I never thought I would have a pickup truck, but here we are. Um, it's a song by a guy named Cody Johnson. Any Cody Johnson fans out there? Maggie, yeah, okay, good. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything more to say about that. Um, it's a song called Till You Can't, Maggie. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of stuff about fishing and trucks in there, but it's really uh, more than that, okay, more than that. It's a song about what I would call the tension point um, in these moments where it's like a moment is coming and it's available and you can act on it or not. And then it just passes. And at some point the tension breaks and it's gone and you can't get it back. And so in the song he's talking about, you know, you can always get a rain check for fishing with your dad. I love it. Um, until you can't. Or you could always uh, put a ring on that girl's finger until you can't. And it made me think about moments in my life where either um, 
that those tension points where it's like you're, you're watching the tension build, 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 and it's, it's going to pop. It's not going to stay there forever. And you can either act or not act. And there have been times in my life that I look back on with regret where it's like I felt that tension, but there was like a, a fear in me that was keeping me from acting or saying or doing something in that moment. Um, Y'all probably have those moments too. And then all of a sudden the moment just passed and it's gone and you can't get it back. And then there's moments that I look back on and celebrate that I didn't do that and that I, the desire um, overcame the fear and it compelled me and moved me forward um, to take advantage of the opportunity. But um, that is what we are talking about in this passage today with very deep, uh, weighty things is um, this man, Bartimaeus, this uh, man who is blind, uh, he's a beggar. He is uh, sitting by the roadside outside of this city of Jericho. Jesus has just come with his disciples. Um, he's, he's been teaching. He's been performing miracles. He's, he's been doing his ministry, which is coming and saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's me. And he was teaching with authority. Um, he was doing wonderful things. And so this man, Bartimaeus, is sitting by the roadside, and um, if you're a blind man who's sitting in, a, in public crossroads, um, you hear a lot of things. And so um, who knows exactly what he heard, but after Jesus had been there for some time, for some days, um, I'm sure that the talk was all over the place about who this man is, what he was saying, what he was doing. And so Bartimaeus is, is hearing, he's taking this information in. Who knows what that information was coupled with from his whole life experience before that, you know, has he, has he been um, receiving teaching about the coming Messiah? Is he someone who's worshiping God? Is he following God? I don't know. But he's, he's getting this information about this man, Jesus. And so it says, um, we, we get to this tension point where um, he is sitting by the roadside and he hears from the crowd that it's this man, Jesus, and his disciples are leaving his city. And he hasn't had a chance to meet him yet. He's got some things that he wants to say to him. He's got some, some things that he wants to ask of him. Um, he's got some pain that he wants to bring him. He's got some hopes and some dreams and some desires that he wants to give him. And he's, it's, it's like you can, you can feel the tension as Jesus and his disciples and this great crowd are moving down the road and away and out of the city and it's just this moment where he's got to decide, what is he going to do? Um, you, can, you can imagine as a blind beggar, um, as a nobody, he has spent his entire life um, basically uh, feeling like, who wants to hear from me? Um, people have probably reinforced that. They probably told him specifically things like that. Um, but we get to this point where... Um, the tension point is rising up and the moment is starting to slip. And then um, it says that he's made his decision. And it says he began to cry out. And I love that it says he began uh, because he's just getting warmed up. Um, he is going to cry out until he gets a response. And it says he began to cry out. And what did he say? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So, I mean, just imagine the courage of that. This, this blind beggar who nobody really cares about, who's not important, who nobody wants to hear what he has to say, nobody wants to hear what he has to think, nobody really cares what his needs are. 
Um, he is sitting by the roadside and he can't even see where people are. <laughs> he can't even see where Jesus is. He is just crying out. I know you're out there somewhere. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, it, it makes me think, uh, it, it says, hearing this cry, uh, a lot of voices in the crowd start trying to shush him, telling him to shut up, stop. Nobody wants to hear this. And it, it made me think about all the times as a kid when um, I would do something to somebody and then they were about to go tell on me. We're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, 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 Miss Gratz, Miss Gratz, he did this. Um, I remember one time, yeah, Miss Gratz, that was a real story. I'll tell it some other time. But, um, you know, it's just like as people started to tell him no, he got, he just got louder. Um, so before we get back to him, let's, let's stop and, and think about the voices in the crowd that are trying to shush him. Because in this story, we have essentially three kinds of people. We have, we have three, three things that are happening. We have criers, crier-outers, we have shushers, and we have callers. And, uh, and we're going to see that these are all kind of the, the same, same people. But um, why are these people telling him to stop? Think about that. Why, why are these people in the crowd saying, hey, shh, stop. Nobody wants to hear that. And I think if we, if we boil it down, um, it's, it's pride and shame. Because shushers are people who need to be criers, but they won't. So they try to shut other people up because it's just too much. It's too painful. So pride and shame. Um, Jesus have mercy on us uh, when we shush people um, and lead us to healing and, and help us to cry out. So shame, um, shame is, you know, these people are probably telling this man, why would you ever think that Jesus would give a slightest care about you or your problems? Look at you. You are a nobody. You're an absolute nobody. You are a blind beggar with no value. So why are you bothering everybody with this? And really what's underneath that is that's how they feel about themselves. I need to be somebody who's important enough for Jesus to listen to, and I'm not. And then there's this pride. Um, you know, you can look at your own life and see this. I don't like to be around people who are needy and who are talking about their brokenness and their pain because I actually don't want to be reminded that I have brokenness and pain. So when this guy is screaming awkwardly for Jesus to have mercy on him, that's a, a painful reminder that these other people didn't want to have. Hey, stop talking about that kind of stuff. And there's also this element of pride, like not only do I not want to remember that I have needs and I, I, that I can't fulfill for myself, not only do I not want to be in touch with the fact that um, there are broken things in me, there are broken things in the world around me that need to be mourned that I won't mourn, but also there's this pride in me that I don't want to have to need God specifically. There is something in me that wants to find some way, somehow, to get what I need aside from God, apart from him. 
And so when this man is crying out for Jesus to have mercy on him, nobody wants to hear that. These people don't want to hear that. And of course, these these outside voices of pride and shame join with our internal voices of pride and shame. And it's a really powerful combination. And so I want to just stop there for a second and have us reflect on that. You know, where, where are the places in your life that you need to cry out, but you're refusing to? Because there's either hopelessness or despair. Like, I don't really think that God is going to hear me. Or I've tried crying out a little bit and he didn't answer. So what's the point? Or the places of pride. Like, I'm tired of feeling needy. I'm tired of being dependent on God. And then also, where am I doing that to other people? Where am I taking my refusal to cry out to God and putting that on the people in my life? But I love this man and I love where God has him at this point in the story. These people are telling him to stop and to be quiet. And what does it say? But he cried out all the more. He cried out all the more. He didn't cry out the same as before. He cried out harder and louder because something had broken off in this man. Something had broken loose and he didn't care. And there was something in the crucible of these people telling him to shut up and him feeling the pain and the need and everything rising up in him and the courage that he had worked up to cry out in the first place. And then they're telling him to stop And something just breaks loose in this crucible. Something new is produced in this man where the fear of man has left. And he knows what he needs. And he doesn't care what other people have to say about it. And he is crying out and nothing is going to stop him until Jesus either answers him or leaves. And he dies from exhaustion of crying out into the distance. So this man is crying out, doubles down all the more. Jesus, have mercy on me. And uh, for those of us who hate when I do this, I'm going to apologize in advance, but I'm going to make you uncomfortable right now. Um, y'all, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, it is it's so easy for us in our flesh to come into this place, to come into worship on a weekly basis, and not just here, but to come into our our discipleship groups, to come into our whatever time we have with the Lord and um, to have expectations and to, to know in advance what's going to happen and how God is going to work, what he's going to say, what he's going to do. And it's too easy to live in this place where um, the only thing I'm really giving up of myself is a possibility of change is that he might encourage me with something or he might teach me some bit of information that I didn't know when I came in here. But what is really dangerous to us and why this whole idea of physical practices and spiritual disciplines matters very greatly in our discipleship and our being transformed in Jesus is that all of, like I I can walk through all of this life and be very near to the word of God and the people of God and not really ever change below the very surface. And so um, what we're about to do is is a practice that is um, gonna help us in this. 
And, and I want you to know in advance that this is something that you are free to do at any point in any worship service that we ever have here. You don't have to wait for someone to guide you. In fact, I want this to be my prayer is that this is a safe place for people to explore their relationship with Jesus and how to meet with him and how to worship him. And so what we're going to do now is we're just going to take a minute or two. And, um, and if this feels like, um, if this feels like, I don't know, if this feels like something that it's not, if this feels like a, a shallow thing that is like gimmicky, then you don't have to do it. Um, but what we're about to do is just take some time and reflect on the places in your life right now um, where you need God's mercy either because it is a habitual sin that you cannot stop or is it a place of deep pain that it um, scares you to go there with him or, or you're just worn out by it or it's things that are too powerful for you, whatever it is, just spend some time reflecting on that um, and then we are gonna practice this discipline of crying out, out loud, screaming out, Jesus have mercy on me. You can say it once, you can say it zero times, you can say it 20 times. I don't care. But the reason we are doing this is because if my body doesn't ever physically do anything like this, I will never do it in my heart. Never. Because I'm too proud. I will love Jesus until he asks me to do something that I'm not comfortable with and then I will not. So again, you follow him. He is the Lord of your conscience. You say or don't say whatever you want, um, but we're gonna spend a couple minutes um, just thinking about our need. Amen. Thank you all for doing that. That's, um, we're moving into breaking the spell, to breaking the powers that have us in prison. Um, and this is the life of God's people for all time. Um, Psalm 116, one and two uh, says that, you know, God's people, we don't just cry out for Jesus' mercy once. This is a lifestyle. This is a, a constant thing in the life of God's people. The psalmist says this, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The first time I cried, he answered me. And then it says, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. I'm gonna need more mercy. And this, this relationship just continues forever and it's beautiful. And so Jesus' response to this man is, uh, get this man to me. But... Uh, I love how he does it. He tells his disciples to bring the man, to call the man. And so um, I want to stop here for just a second and say uh, there's a way to read this passage in which Je Jesus sounds a little too important to go see blind Bartimaeus himself. Um, but that's, that's a lie um, because where is Jesus going right now? He is going into Jerusalem to give himself up for the life of this man and for all of us. So Jesus is very acquainted with his pain and he's about to be more acquainted with our sin uh, than we are. And Jesus is going to secure this union of Bartimaeus. He's going to secure the, uh, the healing of his sight, um, giving him spiritual eyes, giving us spiritual eyes. Um, 
And so this Jesus uses his disciples and says, hey, call him. And so the disciples come and they are callers. And it says, they say to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And um, that's us. We are callers now in Jesus. And so um, the only prerequisite for being a caller is that you have to have been a crier and be a crier. So if you're someone who has called for Jesus's mercy and he has answered you, then you're now a caller and a crier. You're continuing to cry out for his mercy and you are now calling people that Jesus is calling to himself. And here's the thing. Jesus was calling Bartimaeus long before he ever called out for Jesus. John 6, 37, all the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So we are vessels for Jesus as we cry ourselves. Jesus meets us in our crying and enables us to be callers. And that's, that's uh, a big part of our vision here at Midtown West is that we are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, the crying out of our own hearts and to set others free um, to go and call. And so this is a constant fight for freedom in this life because in our flesh we have built-in shushers. And some of those built-in shushers may have been acting just a few minutes ago of like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Pride and shame. And so Jesus is saying, hey, church membership, baptism, that's, that's why we don't do this alone. Because if I do this alone, I always end up as a shusher. And he's saying, no, 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 you need each other. You need to be in each other's lives. You need to be in each other's worlds. And you need to be so close that you can say, hey, I think you need to cry out. And I'll be here with you to do that. So like Bartimaeus here, um, we are in this process. Jesus gives him a physical sign and heals him, gives him sight immediately. But this is a spiritual reality that's working itself out over the course of our entire lives. We're we are being able to see he is healing us. He's calling us to himself. He's giving us our sight. He is giving us new life as we follow him and we are crying out and calling others. And so um, with this, um, I'm gonna ask Brian to come back up. Yeah, Walt, come on. Um, and uh, what we're gonna do is just share um, mostly Brian, but uh, we're going to share how the Lord has led Brian to himself. And the reason we're doing this is kind of twofold. One is um, we're going to testify through that to the power and love and mercy of God that he is still doing this now. And he's doing it all over the place. And two, um, we want to set a fire in us that um, we are criers and callers. And uh, the Lord is the one who does the heavy lifting and he invites us to be a part, and we just have to be available. So, um, with that, huh? Hayes is crying, he's learning. Good job, buddy. <laughs> um, would love for you to just kind of share where you started noticing the beginning of this journey. Just like, no, no, I'm not, huh? no, I know. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I'll, I'll, I think an important moment, you know, that, that I kind of anchor on in the story is Severe Park when we met. I think how you describe that is funny. I mean, how, how, what was your experience? And I'll kind of go into kind of what my background was. Cause you well, 
tell too about like um, just you getting to Nashville and knowing one human in the city. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so poor Ricky's just like you know, <laughs> it's, it's full. Um, I mean, so yeah, I mean, we we moved to Nashville two and a half years ago. We knew one person. We um, wanted to move to the South. We looked at different cities. We fell in love with Nashville. And um, coming from DC. Coming from DC. You just j jump right in, you know. You know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so we, but we, it was a kind of a crash landing in, into Nashville. We um, were down, we were thinking of it, uh, we were talking about pulling off the band aid at some point, but we, we came down 4th of July of 2019, I think it was. And, uh, you know, a month later, we moved down here. The kids weren't in school, um, <laughs> which was a, problem because they're supposed to go to school and uh <laughs> so we we more people tell us that so we um we were just driving around uh to different schools uh and we drop off emily and she'd go in and ask if they had any room uh and and i would take the kids <laughs> to a park and we were doing that one day and this is just a few days after moving down <laughs> and uh um there's this 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 nice woman with these these and kids. really attractive. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. not gonna not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> and you these ki the these test. kids they were just really misbehaving a lot, you know. And so we were, <laughs> and uh, it was Lee, you know. And and we so we just started talking. I think Dabo Sweeney was part of it for some reason because where she went to school and um, I liked him back then. My feelings have changed a little bit, but uh, different story. But yeah, no, we, we met and then we introduced, you know, Emily came by and, and they had uh, coffee and they said, you know, I think, I think our husbands would get along. And so we, we uh, that kind of um, strange, you know, seemingly random moment mm. led to this moment when I meet, the husbands meet, we all get together in Severe Park. And well, and that park was Elmington Park, and neither family had been to that park before or since. <laughs> it's a bad park. No, it a, no. <laughs> it's a great park if anybody <laughs> works in the park services. Um, well, and also just to say, um, I see Winston. Um, I haven't got to meet you yet, uh -oh. but I'm glad you're here. He's uh, a small guy. Sorry to pull you into this without your permission, but... I mean, so Brian literally knows one person when they move to town, and then um, Winston is a man who loves Jesus, and very early, his one friend invited him to a food festival downtown, and another friend that he invited invited Winston. Winston and Brian connect, uh, and... I, neither one of us are particularly social people, <laughs> so we're at this food festival, and Emily and I were exhausted because we were in the first week of, of being down here, but we we're like, oh, we just got to dragged ourselves out of the house to, to go there to try to meet some people in this new city. <laughs> <laughs> Barely, I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and, and, and met Winston through that sort of, again, seemingly chance encounter, and we kind of hit it off, and you know, I remember we went to coffee just a few days after that, 
and uh, you know he, he uh, was just we're just sort of asking each other you know very kind of deep questions and and he came to kind of uh, you know to share how religion and Christianity had had such an impact on him and his story which is amazing and have you up sometime <laughs> uh, next week and uh, he was like he was like you want to go to a Bible study <laughs> I was like Sure. Yeah, you're gone. I guess I'll go and met met Carter, uh, who's sort of like a colleague of yours, almost in mm-hmm. a way. And that, that Carter probably. Crenshaw is another PCA pastor in town. Yeah, and so that so that you know then then we we met and uh, you know Matt joked about how sometimes when he tells people he's he's a pastor and he meets him for the first time, they sort of uh, I don't know how how. <laughs> <laughs> um, mixed reactions, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I, I think there's just this uh this <laughs> ravenous pent up uh, desire to ban and try to try to figure this out. You know, I just sort of accosted him. <laughs> I think as I was walking with my hand out to meet you for the first time, you said, Hey, hey, what does a pastor do? I was like Wow, uh, I don't know how to answer that question. For it was, it was a good question, and I think I said uh, I help people meet with God. And that started. Uh, I mean, we started getting together quickly, like once a week, and you know, there's just a litany of, of of questions that I had. I remember what is a good Christian. Remember that that uh-huh. question. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I think it. Will you share a little bit, like, kind of how you were coming in, like, where were you with God coming into Nashville and this time? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that there, there's a few kind of chapters to that that kind of pre-Nashville moment. I mean, one is kind of we, Ricky and I, and and, and our other brother Kevin, we we grew up uh, kind of Jewish, you know, Jewish, but like not who are like super religious, but I believed in God. And um, then when I was in sixth grade, Ricky was in fifth and, and, and uh, Kevin was in eighth, our, our father died and he was 42. And that was sort of like a earth shattering moment for all of us. And, you know, I think there was a, you know, I think it kind of blew up my, um, sense that there could be a God, you know, that, that could allow something that horrific. And I think also shifted my mindset where you know, my sense of my ability to have faith in anything was, was shattered because I was a pretty like, you know, laid back kid and, and didn't worry too much about stuff. And then that happened. And so I was like, well, crap, like, I got a, there was this hyper vigilance that got kind of got created. And so that there was sort of a moment there, right? I remember taking like a class at Brown on, um, you know, uh, with pr- pretty much was like, is there a God or not, right? So it was very like intellectualizing it. Um, and then I, 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 this woman met this charming uh, boy and and we, we realized quickly that there was, uh, I think, something there. Maybe me before you, but you, you, came, you came around to it. And uh, I remember, you know, four to six months in, you, you said, if this is going to go somewhere, our family's going to be a Christian family. And so, 
that was some of the backdrop, and you know, that didn't really kind of go anywhere too much at the time. I was we were in our mid twenties, and we started having children, and um, you know, and 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 I started getting older. I started getting closer to the age my dad was when when he passed away, and and so that started this desire to engage with 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 Christianity and and spirituality and God, and and. Uh, you know, I didn't, didn't want to be the one out. You know, it's like the three family members are like part of the Christian community. And I'm like, hey guys, um, <laughs> and and so, but but we, you know, we were going to churches in D.C. Um, and you know, it, it was there was a there was a one i was coming at it with a very kind of intellectual kind of frame of mind and and two there was a formality to the churches and, and that that i was having difficulty kind of engaging with the sort of stained glass windows and the the garb and looked a little bit different than what you're wearing and and uh um yeah so i i was i was you know for a year or two before we met the analogy i gave is like a a uh running back trying to kind of blast through the line and 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 trying to kind of engage with Christianity and I was just kind of hitting a wall and, and so that's kind of that was all the backdrop for that moment when we met in, in Sevier Park where I was just sort of like what's a pastor what's Christianity? you know it's sort of yeah. like this explosion like out. all of our kids are running around <laughs> and we're like I'm like wrangling kids like answering sort of trying to answer these like deep questions like well we should just hang out sometime <laughs> without the kids <laughs> um and that was a saturday and so we swapped numbers to grab coffee at some point and brian texts me like as we're leaving the park and says we want to come to your church tomorrow like what do you where and where is it because we were still at 12 south and so they come and i'm just watching it was just such an amazing experience to like watch your face and nick was a part of that too but like watching you during the worship service and thinking like, I wonder what he is thinking right now <laughs> about all these different things that we're doing. It's Elliot, you know, so, so immediately, you know, if anybody who knows Elliot, like he's, he up there at, at uh, you know, 12 South location, just looks and feels very different from the churches that I've been exposed <laughs> to before. Somebody's phone went off. What are you trying off. to say about Elliot? So, somebody's <laughs> phone went off and he calls the person out. I remember that was like five <laughs> minutes into the sermon. So uh, we were on the playground after the service and I just said, uh, what did you think about that? And you just kind of smiled and said, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and so then that began us starting to meet regularly and kind of sharing my story with you and you asking questions and we were just kind of moving. And then uh, we got to one day we were at Burger Up, and I had been praying, like, Lord, I, I feel like there's, we're coming to a new, like, point with Brian, and, like, would you just please, like, open a door for, like, just go deeper with him, and I was feeling called to ask him if he wanted to do, like, discipleship, and literally, we were sitting there, and before I could say anything, Brian said, so I think I want to be a good Christian. How do you do that? And I said, well, I think let's change the word good to healthy. And, and then we just had a conversation and he was like, I think I need a Bible. And I was like, yeah, well, you're in luck because there's a, a Christian bookstore that sells Bibles right across the street. Just isn't there anymore. It's not there anymore. So, um, so we walked in there and it was just this deep 
uh, it was just a really holy moment. And like, I'm helping Brian pick out a Bible and he gets this study Bible and we're standing, I still remember we're standing in the parking lot and he starts flipping and he's like, what are all these numbers mean? And how is this organized? And so, I mean, that's where we started and it was beautiful. And we just started walking through the gospel of John together. And, and I think it was like, I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, my, I, I think it was like two years of, you know, me trying to kind of head first rather than heart first, um, you know, come to like a mathematical proof for, you know, the existence of God and Jesus and all of the things that are kind of in there and, uh, and, I, and again, I think that kind of head first rather than kind of heart first approach was catalyzed by the, 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 the loss of a father, you know, early on. And so sort of wanting just kind of a lot of difficulty having faith. And it was, you know, it, it sort of chipping away over those two years increasingly towards the end of, of, of that and kind of, I think, drawing drawing on the heart more and just sort of feeling different when, we would get together when Winston and I would get together or, or Nick and I, Carter, um, the whole crew of people <laughs> who helped, um, and, and sort of a softening of, of, of the heart and, and, a, and a realization then that like the word faith, like it's, it's not a proof, you know, you can I was trying to, uh, used the wrong tool, you know, and I was just, I was, is the, the heart was just, or the head was just, there was this kind of hyper vigilance to it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been such a, a gift and, and you've been such a gift in, in, in this, this process. And, and there's a sense of kind of just peace and, and contentment that's been created by that. And, you know, Ricky and I were talking at the pool yesterday and just, you know, I feel more content with where I am, you know, now than any time in the last 15 years since graduating college, which is kind of a moment when anxiety about, you know, being an adult kind of started creeping in. Mm -hmm. But I think w one thing I want to kind of share is just how, how Matt was like so open about his humanity, you know, I think it was like the humanity and humility that the folks that I'm talking about that are here shared and, and their honesty and, and how, you know, you, you know, I think I, I had a perception of um, religion and a perception of pastors as a priest or anybody with that sort of role as like, they know everything and I know nothing and there's sort of this judgment and the shame and, and uh, um, you know, and I, you, you just, you, you approached it in a very, very different way. I mean, it was, a, it was a, I think part of what's off in the heart is just sort of how you, you showed your heart mm. and your love and, and um, you know, he was able to flow through that. And, and your humility and, and, and when I would ask, you know, the, 98 questions per per lunch um you know there were some where you're just like i don't i don't know here's what i think um 
but I'm a human trying to figure out these things the same way you are. I just have a certain role. I'll never forget that. Yeah, and I would say, thank you. And I would say from my perspective, like I got to experience in this and that's what I want. Part of what I want to come out to all of us is just one, Brian, like what he brought into this was a hunger and the things that he was sort of searching for on his own and landing on kind of the Lord was leading him without any kind of background in this was like, humans are made for love and connectivity, like community and love. And so it's like, he's getting to so many of the things that are the heart of the gospel that he just doesn't have words for. And I, and just like, don't miss like the way that the Lord is using like all these different people in the lives of the people that he's calling to himself. And so I came into this just asking, like I've spent time trying to make something happen and um, it doesn't go well. <laughs> and, and it's like all about me. And um, this like relationship with Brian has been such a joy because the Lord is just, um, like I was just praying, Lord, would you bring somebody into my life that I could share you with? And, and then he brings Brian and the whole way, like Did he I is- the way you, when you pray, was, it, was this like I did, this? Yeah, it's like about <laughs> that hair color <laughs> and everything. Yeah, um, but, but I just, you know, I don't want us to miss that, that like um, he, we are made for this and he is doing this. And um, it is like my friendship with you, like you are one of my best friends now through this whole process. And like this whole walking with you is one of the deepest joys and honor of my life. Um, and I'm so thankful for it. And it's like, man, this is like the Lord's like, yes, like this is what I made you for. And this is how I made all this to work and to be crying out and calling and, and all of it just together. Um, so I love you. Thank you for being willing to share some of this story. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Um, and I, I think, you know, love and connection are like, those are the those are those those are the, the the two two of the things that just so deeply came out of our time together and and the time with this community you know um, so I will say this right before Christmas we're walking Lipscomb University and we're talking about something and Brian just decides to slip in um, yeah and I'm a Christian now and I was like. And like he was just going on with like whatever he was talking about. Was like, yeah, I mean, you know, that's like, that's how I see the world. That's my identity. That's what I believe. Anyway, and he, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what did you just say? Well, the, <laughs> in the context too, I think it was, was funny because, you know, my experience with this was with Midtown and you. It's, so it's sort of like I dated one girl and, and there Thank was, you. and there was, <laughs> a curiosity about other girls, other church, you know, and so we were, we, we looked at a, another one, and, and, but I think that's, but that's the moment I raised that, I raised that because I that, think it's time, it's that's, time. The, that's, the, that's the moment, that's the moment that I, I realized, you know, the question isn't, you know, is there a church home, it, it's which one, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the moment for me, I was like, oh, that's how I see myself now, mm -hmm. that's what I believe, and, and of course, you know, I, stepped out for a moment and quickly ran back. Very quickly. Very quickly and, and incredibly grateful for that. Yeah. Thank Love you, man. man. I love you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Brian and uh, Emily and their family. Lord, thank you for 
this passage. Thank you for uh, what you are doing in us. Uh, you're continuing to teach us how to depend on you and continuing to send us out into the world uh, to your sons and daughters who don't know you yet. And I pray that you just light a fire and uh, help us to tend it um, in all of our hearts to be used by you in this way and to continue on this adventure with you. And uh, Lord, help us to continue in this adventure as we uh, continue with worship. In Jesus' name, amen.